welcome to A Moment of Bach, where we take our favorite moments from the composer's vast musical output, just a minute's worth, or even a few seconds, and show you why we think they are remarkable. We are your hosts, Alex and Christian Giebert, and today's moment is from Bach's French Suite Number 4, the first movement, the Allemande. Alex, what is recursion? It is what was illustrated in the dialogue, Little Harmonic Labyrinth. Nesting and variations on nesting. Hey, you're reading my book. Oh, <laughs> sorry. The answer, if I was going to give you a, an honest answer, uh, and if I hadn't already read this part of this book, <laughs> um, <laughs> I would think it would be going back to something. Yeah. In the book that I have here, Gödel Escher Bach, which is a book that we have discussed once on this podcast. It's come up. Yes. It's a interesting and funny and strange book about the weirdness of reality using examples from mathematics, computer programming, music, the music of Bach, and also visual art, the visual art of M.C. Escher. It's a Pulitzer Prize winning book uh, from decades ago, and it's really interesting. And today's moment makes me want to zoom out and expand. But once I did that, I realized I had to expand one layer back and back and back musically. So to explain, I looked up this chapter from this book on recursive structures and processes. And it sounds like a fancy term, but it's quite an ordinary, although strange, phenomenon. But what recursion is, according to this book, nesting and variations on nesting the concept is very general stories inside stories movies inside movies paintings inside paintings russian dolls inside russian dolls etc and so when i asked alex what's recursion what are recursive things now the next question is how is bach's music recursive in other words does it contain any parts of itself within itself on a different scale? Does it contain something, if we look at it from the largest scale, look at a whole piece of music, are there any structures or progressions within that whole piece of music that also exist in like half of the piece of music or a quarter of it? Yeah, you're, you're talking about the musical equivalent of like a fractal, for example. Mm -hmm. Like if, listener, if you've ever seen what we're talking about, there's some great animated versions of this you can find online that are pretty mind-bending. And what that is, is a beautiful structure that's created mathematically out of shapes that if you keep zooming in, it just keeps on looking like a smaller version of it. And then as you zoom in, it looks like what you just saw two seconds ago. And it's an endless zooming in that just keeps looping forever. Yeah, some recursive structures are, are eternal, basically. They're infinite. Those are the theoretical ones. But the ones that happen in nature and in reality, only, only some of their scales are visible to us. It's hard to describe this stuff because you don't really know what words, to, what terminology to use. But the author of this book, Douglas Hofstetter, does have his own terminology that I think applies to Bach very well. He does talk about Bach in this book a lot, after all. And he calls it stacks. He uses the word stack because it's a bit of a visual imagery of like a cafeteria tray stack. So if you've ever been in a diner or cafeteria 
where you get your own tray. You might pick it up from a weighted or spring-loaded platform so that it always looks like there's about 10 or 20 of them on the top. And if you went over and put 30 more on there, it would press the spring down, but it would still look like there was about 10 or 20 on top. That's where he's using the term stack from. Mm. When you take a tray off the stack, the stack pops up a little. So stuff like that does occur in in life, like you could be doing one thing and then be in the middle of doing something and then realize you have to do some smaller task from beginning to end and then complete that task and then go back to the same spot you left off in the other task. Recursion also occurs naturally in language, in I think every language in the world, in the context or within the span of even one sentence Hmm. because of the way you can continually modify words or nouns within a sentence. It also happens in music and the way it happens in Bach's music is in harmonic progression. And the sense of tonality or comfort in a key, what key you're in. And this is the way that Hofstetter explains it. Any reasonably musical person automatically maintains a shallow stack with two keys. In that short stack, the true tonic key is held. For instance, E-flat major, a suite in E-flat major. And also the most immediate, quote, pseudotonic, his word for the key the composer is pretending to be in at the moment. Hmm. In other words, the most global key and the most local key. That way the listener knows when the true tonic is regained and feels a strong sense of, quote, relief. The listener can also distinguish between a local easing of tension, for example, a resolution into the pseudotonic, and a global resolution. In fact, a pseudo-resolution should heighten the global tension, not relieve it. Because it is a piece of irony, since tension and resolution are the heart and soul of music, there are many, many examples. Let's consider the Allemande from the French suite that we're listening to today. Its tonic key is E-flat. But soon, however, a modulation within this first section, let's call it the A section, leads to the closely related key of B-flat major. When this first section, the A section, ends, we are in the key of B-flat major. In fact, it sounds as if the piece has ended in the key of B-flat major. But then a strange thing happens. We abruptly jump back to the beginning because of a repeat sign, back to E-flat major, and we rehear the same transition. Then comes the B section, the second section of this two-section binary piece of music. We begin 
in B flat as if that had always been the tonic. eventually modulate back to E flat after all, which means that we pop back into the tonic and the B section ends properly. Then another repeat sign happens and that funny repetition takes place, jerking us without warning back into B flat for the beginning of the B section and letting us return to E flat once more. So I'm paraphrasing a little bit of what Hofstetter's book says because he's describing a different piece, but it works for all of the binary pieces of Bach and really honestly any composer of this sort of music at this time which has a deceptively simple looking A and B form. And Hofstetter says, The psychological effect of all of this keys shifting, some jerky, some smooth, is very difficult to describe. It is part of the magic of music that we can automatically make sense of these shifts. Or perhaps it is the magic of Bach that he can write pieces with this kind of structure which have such a natural grace to them that we are not aware of exactly what is happening. So there are progressions and tensions and resolutions at, at all scales. And... That leads us to the moment of the day, which is a suggestion from our listener, Santiago. And I'm glad he suggested this because I'm not sure I would have thought of it. But we do have a lot of the keyboard music of J.S. Bach already available to us by the Netherlands Bach Society. Here we have the harpsichordist Pierre Antailly playing the French suite number four in E flat major. Right, and this recording just came out last month. So it's good timing on uh, Santiago's part there. Yeah, you know, you're right. And I think Santiago sent this message before that. So either it wasn't out and we just got really lucky. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe it was it was released earlier on YouTube than it was on their website. But Santiago's moment comes from the beginning of the B section. And so, Alex, the whole Allemand movement is one A section that starts in E flat and ends in B flat and then a repeat of that A section, and then a B section, which starts ambiguously on a B-flat chord and ends finally on E-flat, and then that also repeats. So it's A-A-B-B, if we're using right. letters as sections. So binary form. Binary form. It's different than the ternary form that we discussed last week, which is A-B-A. But this binary form with the repeats is really A-A-B-B, right? And to your point about the way, and well, to Hofstetter's point from the book about the way these work, if it was just A, B, this thing would feel very smooth, wouldn't it? It would go E flat, B flat, they would elide immediately, and then it would go to the end on E flat, and there, would be, it would, there wouldn't be as much tension. So it would be like, you know those little train cars that you play with when you're a child, and they have little magnets that connect them? Oh, yeah. And the magnets have the polarization such that they tracked right and then they the two train cars just stick together easily but this would be like if you turn one of those around instead of having two train cars that just that just attach nicely you now have four and (laughs) 
they don't really match either. Only the middle two match, but the other ones, as Hofstetter said, they just they flip to the wrong key right away once they hit the repeat sign, so they don't really match. So it doesn't line up, so there's some tension there. Although the first two train cars match in another way, the two A's, because the first ends on the on that B-flat chord and the second begins on E-flat chord. So even though they aren't two parts of a cadence, but opposite parts of the end and then a beginning of a new section, they do match in terms of harmonic progression. Because you'd expect Five that, to one. Yeah, that's true. Actually, the, yeah, you're right. And then that last one, the one where the B repeats back to B, that is the weirdest one in, in all of these forms. It's always like this. It, it's because you end on something that sounds final on the tonic, and then it jumps back to the dominant right away. That's the most jarring of, of all, and, yeah. that, and Hofstetter mentions that. And that's, I think, part of the reason why some performers don't repeat B sections of Bach binary pieces. That's, that's true. And, well, also because sometimes the B section is longer, but in this movement it's not, but a lot of times they are in some of the other movements. But it is worth noting that, or at least repeating, I think you already said this, Christian, all of these movements of all of these French suites and English suites of Bach are like this. They all are in binary form, and they all have repeats. At least I'm pretty sure they, do, they all do. And that way, the performer gets to repeat the A section and then usually choose whether or not to repeat the B section. Some performers don't do either, but that's a little more unusual. Yeah. So we have the big stack of the whole movement. Arguably, there's a bigger stack than that. That's the whole suite. <laughs> right. You know, and then there's another stack above that, which is all the French suites. And then all, and of then all the keyboard blocks, work. Keyboard work. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. But that's a little silly, but it, you know, that's a thought exercise. That's interesting. Yeah. So we have the Allemande and it is its own harmonically complete system, even though it's complicated. And then we have the A sections and B sections with their repeats. And then we have the A sections and B sections without their repeats. Arguably, that's another stack. And so is maybe the middle two, last A section, first B section. But then we have internal harmonic progressions, smaller ones that are just part of the music, like chord changes, you might say. Like we start on an E flat chord at the very beginning. There is a, an A flat chord over E flat on the second strong beat of the, of the piece. And it goes on, it starts doing its thing. But the B section beginning is what we're going to talk about. It is Santiago's chosen moment. And it's a wonderful moment where all of a sudden Bach takes away the lower notes, has the left hand instead play a repeated B flat for four notes in a row, what we call a pedal point, because other chords above it change as it stays the same. Alex, how would you, I'm just using you as a springboard here to explain things, but how would you explain the rules of pedal point? Like what can happen harmonically while a pedal point is occurring? What's legal, what's not, what's allowed? That's, yeah, I think, I mean, you can do, you can just do a normal harmonic progression, whatever you were going to do anyway. You just do whatever is normal, but then you add the pedal point. And sometimes the pedal point does not have to match what's happening, at least not exactly.
by virtue of it staying put, it's almost like it's since it's not moving, it doesn't have to be in harmony with those other parts. It can be separate. Right, and the thing about, about the rules of harmony in, in the Baroque era, most of the rules have to do with what can move where. You know, so if you think about it, that makes sense why pedal point works the way it does, because it doesn't move. That's what it is, right? It's exempt from the rules. It's, yeah. it's getting a pass. It just gets to sit there and not move. It feels, maybe, by virtue of not moving, it feels maybe stable. It's often on the bottom. That's why I call it pedal point, like an organ pedal. But it usually actually is the only stable thing, and it's actually making the rest of it seem unstable. Because without it, with the pedal point gone, the progression would be completely ordinary. But with the pedal point present, there are harmonic dissonances that are a little strange. Mm. Especially that major seventh from the B flat to the A, right? Yeah, the second measure. That's why I think moments of pedal point are some of the most harmonically exquisite, because they create vertical structures which are not allowed, but they are allowed temporarily because of horizontal movement being all legal. We talked about a wacky but gorgeous five-note chord that happened in the Edentera Pox. Oh, uh, yeah. And that was the same exact principle. There was a bass part that was just not moving, and it wasn't really part of the harmony. And it's not how you would call, you wouldn't call that a chord, but it's still, all those five notes were sounding together vertically. It was very interesting. Right, but critically with pedal point, even though it doesn't have to follow the rules while it's holding on, it does have to follow the rules when it leaves the note, like when it ends. When the pedal point ends and when the note moves, it still has to follow the rule. It can't just jump weirdly after it's it hangs on. So it like basically it, it sits outside of the structure and then it pops back in and then becomes part of the structure again. I think this is pretty germane to your, your topic, Christian, from the book, right? Yep. About popping in and out of a structure, about th- things like feeling recursive. It's almost like... I would argue it's the opposite. The pedal point doesn't pop out. The other stuff does. The pedal point like stays put. The rest of the stuff pops out of the structure for a second and does its own thing. And then the pedal point, once it's ready to move, the other stuff falls back in and then the piece continues on as normal. Yeah, this is the smallest stack of all. And I, w- I would argue in our, in our analogy that this pedal point is the top tray in the cafeteria and the notes above it that actually do change in a in a allowed progression are the stuff on your tray the, the food the food <laughs> yeah. or the the smallest level of smaller tray that is on this bigger size tray or is this or is are these the uh like atoms right and then like the these little notes up here are the electrons because you can't go any although that's not true because there's such a thing as subatomic particles <laughs> <laughs> The analogy breaks down a little at some point, of course. That's not even my favorite chemistry analogy with uh, about harmonic progression, but I'll get to that another time. <laughs> yeah. But I do think there are some cool analogies there, even as silly as they, as forced as they are. This is an, yet another interesting relationship between two of uh, the, quote, stacks. It's like those videos of, those computer animated videos of zooming out from like the size of a cell, you know, out into the size of a person or than the planet, because here you have a small harmonic progression within the span of two bars. 
a stable underpinning note that spans those same bars. And then, taking another step back, you see that this is just the beginning of a section of music that will eventually cadence on C minor in the sixth bar of the B section. And then we zoom out again, and we see that the entire B section is 10 measures in length. So there are another four measures until the end. After 10 measures, which Alexi pointed out is a very interesting number, not eight, but 10 measures, you get the entire B section that has its own linear progression. Um, from ambiguous B flat, which is our moment, to the final ending of E flat major, which is the end, which is the way it has to end. And then of course you zoom out again and you see that this is repeated and has a A section that precedes it. It has to, it's not complete on its own. So some of these things are not stable enough to exist on their own. It's another chemistry type of analogy, I think. You know, like the B section on its own, it's, it's never, that never exists as a piece of music by itself. Yeah. It needs to be paired with the A section. The A section also does not exist by itself. It does not end correctly. It's not just like it's not quite satisfying. It's not allowed in Baroque harmonic progression. Right. They are bound together with an almost chemistry-like force where they must be paired. Yeah. And now, here is the beginning of the B section from the Allemande of the French Suite number 4 in E-flat. If this introduction to a musical moment has inspired you to hear the rest of the French Suite in E-flat, please follow the link in the episode description to see that performance. Do you want to hear our episodes as we release them? Well, all you have to do is find us on your podcast app, A Moment of Bach, and hit the subscribe button. And that way, all the new episodes will download to your device automatically. Thanks once again to Santiago for suggesting today's moment. Okay, what's next? Next, we'll take another listener request from Bill, zooming in on the first movement of the venerated Mass in B minor. Until next time, enjoy those moments. <laughs>